Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast. It's your host, Breezy and Matthew. No Jay and no Smitty joining us today, but that means we get to do extra nerdy things. Um, and we are going to do what we got right and what we got wrong so far. So we made a bunch of predictions to start this season, Matthew. Um, we did a several different podcasts, some nerd pods you can go back and listen to where we actually described how we thought the sixes and eights would play as well as what they are um, in, in modern soccer. And then we also did a couple podcasts just straight up predicting new signings, where they would play, how they would play, and then what we thought uh, Rod was going to do. And I tell you what, we made a lot of predictions, and I feel pretty good about some of them. And, uh, you know, I got, we got a few wrong. So let's talk through some of those. I think that's a, a cool place to go. And it's also just a fun intellectual look at, like, where did we think we were going to be? We had a reasonable amount of NISA data. We've never had a coaching change with uh, data to go with it to have an idea of how they're going to play. So it's the first time for this. Uh, and, again, we made a bunch of predictions, and let's see how they went. So Matthew, let's uh, let's do this. I would like I would like you to describe, um, and we're gonna bounce back and forth all over this. I'm sure for a while, but uh, Rod tactics as you described them in our first preview, that one that you and I did by by ourselves uh, here in my guest room at Studio Breezy. Uh, yeah, and and in baseball, I'll give you the prompts: four, three, three, lone six, two, eight, three players up front, but total football positional interchanges. Um, give us a little breakdown of kind of how you saw things going uh, coming into the season. So before we had any players except for returners, uh, based on, based on, partly based on the interview that we did with, with Rod Underwood uh, shortly after he was hired, uh, partly based on watching a lot of Stumptown uh, in 2021, we figured that Rod was going to go with a back four because uh, he, he we'd not seen him play anything in, in terms of back three before. And, and is the coaches that he likes and watches most stick with a four, three, three, four, four in the back, uh, two center backs, two outside backs. Uh, and then, and then kind of, you know, variants of that three midfielders, three forward ish players. Um, I went with a lone six, two eights and three players up front because I figured based on what we had returning, uh, you, it would make sense for uh, someone like he played, he played last year with, with a lone six uh, in, in uh, Barato Navia and kind of two eights in front. And during the spring portion of the season, it was Alex McGrath and Travis Ward Uh sometimes wide, sometimes narrow in the fall portion. It was more, it was Colin Stripling and Jared Odenbeck playing much more narrow, although they would, they would have license to go out wide, but it was definitely in a defensive capacity and uh, in a, in a ball retention capacity. And then the three up front uh, for, for Stumptown played kind of the same way, uh, just with different personnel. So you had, you had really two tens who had license to go out wide. You had a striker, a lone number nine that also had license to just like try to find the game. And in the spring, they had someone like, like Molly Carpe, who's now at Syracuse, who um, was a bigger kind of target player, you know, occupied some center backs, occupied some space. And in the fall, they used Travis Ward up there because they just didn't have any strikers. Uh, and when looking at that with the personnel we had coming back, 
which was, uh, I think, seven players after you take out James Kasak. And at that point in time, it just it just made a lot of sense that we were we were probably going to play with a six, probably going to play with two eights. Um, and and we didn't know this at the time that Alex McGrath was going to count as a domestic. We'd be able to get him. But if I had known that, I would have said like Alex McGrath is the guy. Like he's going to be one of these eights. And then and then we would just see what happens with the other with the other eight position. And then and then three players up front. We kind of always saw at least early on, that what happened at the beginning of the season was going to be how we built and that the two tens underneath the nine were going to be still those like kind of combo players, like sometimes in the center of the field, sometimes out wide and just kind of playing wherever the ball was at, at any given time, rotating around a little bit with the nine. And, and we were looking for, uh, we were looking for a kind of a classic number nine at the time. I thought, and that did that part did not end up happening, but you know, depending on personnel, I think we talk about this a lot. Like personnel is policy with you, the you, with the ten. You said with that the ten possessions. You said that um, in the uh, in the podcast, yeah. Like if you found if you found tens that were a little bit more wingers and like to start out wide before they came inside, then maybe they play a little bit more like wingers at times, and maybe you had tens if you played like more like classic tens that wanted to stay in the middle of the field, but could also drift that would, that would adjust how, how we played around them. So that's kind of where I was going with that. But like the whole principles of total football is that your 10 might end up in possession as, as an eight, for an example, Uh, might end up even deeper than the line of midfielders because we want players to be creative and expressive and to go get the ball and interchange with one another. You know, everyone's got to be able to play football. Everyone's got to be able to wherever you are on the field at any given time, understand that like you don't play right back or you don't play right wing or the left sided 10. If you happen to be in this position, you are now playing that you are now playing that occupancy on the field. Yeah. Positional play. That makes sense. I think one of the other things we thought is that we we debated whether we would look more like Stumptown in the spring or Stumptown in the fall. Um, I don't know that we considered that we might not look like either. Um, but, you know, looking at how the eights worked, how the tens worked, um, yeah, I think we looked at that. So first thing is I think you can divide, and we'll get back to this in a minute because we'll go through some other stuff before we come back to it, but I think we felt like we would divide um, the the eight, how the eights play, or I think we're going to divide, excuse me, how we played the first four games of the season and then the next three of this season. So I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, I'm just going to go through some random predictions before we actually really dive into that. So uh, Molly Carpe, uh, we definitely said, uh, and you said in particular, he sucks. He was a, We said he was effective in, in, in the spring or sometimes more effective in the spring because he created space um, by running in behind. Uh, and in the fall, one of the points I and, made... And, occup- and occupying center backs and things yeah. like that. And, and one point that I made is in the fall, they really didn't get a lot of runners up top. It was Travis Ward playing um, as the nine, which we talked about as terrifying. Um, it's not what you want. And so Travis Ward, a our starting left back slash right back, is playing striker for them. And in the fall, they did not get the numbers up top and they did not get the space. So we even talked about the fact that they had... Uh, defense were able to push their defensive line up and their midfield line and compress them and really, really give them trouble. And by the way, that's a lot of what happened to us the first 
uh, three games of the NISA games of the season. Um, you especially see it in that Flower City game. Um, we didn't have the space. Yeah. And they had Molly Carpe um, in the first, who was pretty terrible. He didn't score a single goal, I believe, in the spring. But he did stretch the team, make them more effective. Here's the funny thing. You talked about how much he sucked. And then uh, yesterday, I'm pretty sure, he got called up by the Liberian national team. So Molly Carpe says, fuck you, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to eat my words on that one. I still don't, he has not, he's not played very well for Syracuse this year. Uh, he's not been particularly good at all, but sometimes you, uh, well, sometimes it just happens. Yeah. Another thing that we said is the six never goes forward. Um, and then Alex, Alex McGrath said, fuck your couch. And he just, <laughs> he played the six uh, and he's just gone all over the field all over the field. And it's kind of turned into a double pivot, which is something I think we'll talk a lot about probably on this, that when McGrath plays the six, when Richard Dixon is not playing the six, which, spoiler alert, we did not see that happening either, uh, the Alex McGrath playing the six, uh, Alex definitely go, goes more often, and then Ian Saro or one of the other, or uh, Chris Bermudez, depending on who's playing, uh, drops into that space that Alex vacates. Very interesting. Or even Tate can drop a little bit into that space from right back, for example, um, if Alex goes on a uh, on a long run. So very, very interesting. Um, I, I mentioned that I felt like we had some of the same problems uh, in those first three league games that Stumptown experienced uh, in their fall. Um, their fall season. Uh, and I think that Brett was really isolated. I think he was going and getting the ball occasionally out wide and creating space and trying to hold the ball up. And he just was didn't have runners around him. Um, spoiler alert, Rod really fixed that uh, in the last three games. <laughs> Changed things a lot, but we'll get there. Um, so, Matthew, you predicted that the six wouldn't move, and I like to dive in a little bit on this, or couldn't move, and the front five would go hog wild, um, interchanging and doing all the things. Uh, do you feel like that prediction was true or no? Uh, so let's, let's divide up the, the season a little bit in the beginning portion of the season. And then, and then the last, the last three NISA games, uh, in the, in the beginning part, absolutely. Yes. That was hundred percent. Right. Uh, the, the front five, and it was really the four in front of the six, uh, and less so, less so, less, Brett so, Jones the, less so the nine, the nine kind of yeah. just stayed, sent, he was, he stayed was, where he they was, were. He was just there. He drifted occasionally to try to find space, but he was just there. Um, but Richard, Richard, when he was playing the six in, and, and we're talking like Bobcat's home op- home opener. Um, what was that second game? The draw, Valley United, the draw out west, and the, then Flower City lost. Flower at home. City, the Flower City lost at home, and the, and, if, and if Memphis. You, want to, you could add you could add Memphis into this as well. Yeah, we're, and by the way, for uh, anyone wondering and screaming at their computer right now or at their at their cellular device, going, "What about Atlanta?" We're not including Atlanta for any of this uh, because it's it's us playing an MLS team. It's hard to tell. We did stick to our guns. If we want to talk a little bit about that game. We played tactically the way that we were supposed to play. We tried to play on the ground. We tried to play well. We did not commit to going long all the time. Like it was, you know, it was a really good. We didn't close up shop after we went down three nothing. We just kept trying to play, um, and that's one of the reasons it finished six nothing. But I don't think you learn a lot tactically about what we were trying to do, other than we wanted to keep the ball, and everyone knew that um, from the Atlanta game because we were so overmatched by playing an MLS team away from home. So yeah. leaving them out, you got the four games, including Memphis. And by the way, in Memphis. We didn't have as much of the ball, but it worked. We scored those three goals. It was the other games that it wasn't didn't seem to be working very much. Yeah, those games where we had more of the ball, we had more possession, uh, but our offense just wasn't able to create. Uh, I mean, let's I mean, let's talk about 
Well, let's, let's just start there and, and talk about the tactical shift uh, because I think it, it matters a little bit for this portion about the six. When uh, Richard, Richard Dixon's injury in the Flower City home game coincides uh, with him missing a couple games in a row. And uh, it coincides with, with the Alex McGrath move to, move to the six and also coincides with a, a shift in, in general formation. Yes. And uh, Alex McGrath plays the, plays the six differently than Richard Dixon does. So the jury is still out on that position in this kind of new state of things. Which, by the way... I expect, I expect that Richard Dixon is going to be the primary six. Me too. But by the way, uh, I said clearly, Alex McGrath does not fit in a double pivot. I said those words. Uh, and then Rob is like, fuck you, he's a single pivot now. He's the he's going to play the lone six. Um, which I know I just said they played a little bit more of a double pivot because he would vacate space and somebody else would fill in. But man, was he playing the lone six a lot. Uh, and I was wrong. And we were wrong about how we thought the six was going to play when Alex played it because he was going side to side. He was going front to back. I mean, he had how many shots on goal did he have in the uh, Flower City game? Like At least three. Three or four? Maybe four. Yeah. From the six? I mean, like, it's... So here's the, here's the thing. When Richard Dixon plays the six, it's really you've really got seven players playing total football. Not so much anymore. Calm down. Oh, no, no, no. You, Did you see Richard? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Kind of. It's a little bit. Like, but especially in, especially in the, in the front stages of the season, it's seven players playing total football. It's, it's the nine, it's, and then, you know, the, the eights and the tens and the outside backs. All They're the ones that do all the things. And Richard at the six was holding and the center backs were holding. When Alex McGrath took that position, it was just straight up eight players playing total football. Uh, starting positions were different. Yeah, we'll get to that part in a second. Uh, I thought when when Richard went back to the six against Bay Cities, yes, he was more mobile than he was before, but the principles were still the same. I think they were more the same, but I think he he, he was still he was still holding ground in the center. But he, sometimes he would vacate that space. And we saw this a lot at the end of the Flower City uh, Union home game. Uh, he would vacate the space up up the field slightly from his typical role as, as the anchor. And someone like Tate Robertson would drop in to be that kind of like that passing fulcrum of the six. And that part continued against Bay Cities. And I'm going to guess that there's a little bit more freedom there. Um, there's going to be a little bit more freedom there for, for that kind of thing to happen. And it's partly because Ian Saro has dropped in now so that like, if you, if you, if you're, if you're asked like, Hey, Richard Dixon, like, please pass this ball or Ian Saro, please pass this ball. I would rather just Ian Saro do it personally. Cause that's what Ian Saro is really, really good at. And that's not necessarily Richard's game. Uh, and now that they're, now that they play kind of almost side by side at times in build up, uh, you know, yeah, Ian's playing much more of a deep lying playmaker uh, yes. or a deep lying midfielder. Not all the time; he still gets forward plenty, but he is dropping in in possession, picking up the ball, and playing long balls, playing short balls, playing. But he's doing a lot of dictating of the game from deep, which he was not doing earlier on in the season. So if we look at that that split 
Uh, once we get to, so in the first game we started, we changed things up, was Maryland away. Uh, once we kind of changed things up, bringing Marcus in, whatever else, which we'll talk about, uh, the the way the midfield plays has changed a little bit, a lot, I should yeah. say, uh, including giving Richard Dixon license to move a lot more side to side and front to back. So if you remember him playing that, uh, he played a through ball to Ale for an almost goal at the end of the Bay Cities game where he was in the box. I repeat, Richard Dixon was in the box with possession of the ball, and he could have shot right at the edge of the box, and he did not shoot. He faked a shot. The defender bit, and he slid a perfect little through ball in. Ale got bit, also bit on the shot fake and didn't quite get to the ball. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, that's different from how it was previously. So I think we were right about how we thought the Six was going to play the first three games. We were, we were spot on. Stay in the center, pick things apart, drift a little bit wider left on defense if needed, but basically be that like fulcrum that never moves defensively. And I think now... Even when Richard's playing it, it's been modified in large part because you no longer have the 10s further into the midfield to do some of the running around and the pressing and the defensive work. Those, what were 10s, are now wingers. And so the 8s slash 10s are now 8 slash 10s instead of just being 8s. And they're running around, so Richard's just got more ground to cover and more stuff to do. Uh, And I think that's really fun. Absolutely. I agree. All right. A few more things. And I'm sure we'll keep coming back to this, how we're playing a little bit differently in these last three versus the first four. But we said center backs should be matched left foot and right foot. Uh, but at ball playing center backs don't have to be. I would suggest that I don't know the first part, how they should quote unquote be matched is correct. But I do think uh, we were we were correct in that ball playing center backs don't have to be matched by foot. So we did find out that Frankie Martinez is at least mostly uh left-footed according to him he is left-footed slash right-footed meaning like he likes to play he has a stronger left foot he he has some he has a good right foot and he plays a lot of balls with his right foot long but his left foot is his dominant foot according to him so he's kind of left-footed um but i think most people would see him hit a long ball with his right foot and just assume he's right foot especially because from what he was saying he's right-handed uh, if i understood him correctly but either way uh it's interesting to see that we were correct on at least that they're not necessarily matching up left-footed and right-footed because Spielman's also played a lot of minutes at left center back with Stripling at right center back. And Spielman's, while he has two good feet, he's right-footed. Yeah. So, yeah, it did. we were correct on that. Uh, Matthew, you said Travis Ward uh, played a game uh, at left back in the Legends Cup. And I said, that's some wild shit. Like, didn't think that was going to happen. Um Smitty also said several times things like we should go full Italian and play a, a le- right-footed player at left foot at a left back, kind of like uh, it's when Spinazzola did that. And guess what? Uh, we're we're doing that. We're doing it. So when we, <laughs> when they made the change, one of the things they did is that Greg Stratton has at least so far lost his uh, starting spot. That doesn't mean he won't get it back, but he started the first four games, um, and then the last three is not. Travis Ward has moved to left back, and Tate Robertson has moved into right back. And that's very interesting because they play left back very differently. Travis and um, and Travis is a wild card wherever he plays. Uh, he doesn't play any position like anybody else. Uh, I see why like Rod enjoys him because he's such an unpredictable player. Um, we saw that. We talked about uh, on the reviews, him breaking through, playing that right-footed ball over the top to Alex McGrath, who was the six running in towards goal. Like a, yeah. you know, It was just a wild... He's a wild dude, and you never know what he's going to do, um, and that makes him unpredictable uh, in a good way for for that outside back position. But I didn't think there was a chance in hell. I did predict several times that he'd be the backup left back, but I really didn't think we'd be starting him repeatedly at left back once we signed a left-footed player. But, you know, I don't know. Here we are. 
here we are. Sometimes that's just how it happens. Uh, I had a pretty good prediction here. Uh, I have a feeling Reese Williams' aspirations are higher than Chattanooga Football Club. Yeah, it turns out, uh, not, not, that's not just CFC. <laughs> I was just saying the NISA is actually what I said. Um, and yeah, it turned out he signed in Detroit. Um, and he's one of the best wingbacks in the USL Championship. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip down, Mark, what we've gotten to. Uh, Richard Dixon, sometimes at center back, I said. Uh, you have a yikes written down here. <laughs> Uh, how about you explain yourself before I defend myself? Well, you said you said in in discussing in the in the returning player pod, you, you we were talking about Richard Dixon and the role we we envisioned for him in this team. And I said, I know I said basically like he's a six in the, in, the, in this system. He's a six. He'll be a six. He'll hold. He'll stay. He's not doing. He's not doing shit else. I also said he could play right back. I didn't just and, say center back. <laughs> and and you said that we thought he, we would primarily see him as a six and as a right center back. And maybe sometimes as a right back, although that might be a little bit too much running for running, running for what we want out of him. I think what I said is that you'd be primarily a six, but I could see him also getting minutes at center no, back. No, you, and were, right back. You, were pretty, you were pretty clear about the center back part in there. Um, yeah. So, and, and then like, let me just, let me just kind of put this in perspective for you. He has played zero minutes anywhere, but the six. It's not true. Greenville away. He played 15 minutes at the end at left center back. So yeah, he's yeah. played. Zero. Congratulations on your exhibition game. By the way, I, I think that I obviously got the prediction wrong that he's going to play anywhere but the six. However, if I will bet you a lot of money that if Frankie Martinez and Colin Stripling and I am knocking on all the wood here, both go down be, with an injury. Fucking careful right now. I know, I know. Or let's say they both get red cards. Something wild happens, right? And we're down to one center back in Nick Spielman. I am betting a lot of money that the next player up to start at center back next to Nick Spielman is Richard Dixon. He's number he's the fourth player on the center back uh, depth chart, and I will not hear otherwise because I think I'm right. All right, let's talk about Tate Robertson now. Uh, who, you know, if we have a bunch of bunch of red cards, I guess might be the fifth option at center back. Uh, Don't be silly. It's, talked- it's it's the new Sean Hofstetter, aka uh, Travis Ward. <laughs> uh, we talked about uh, how how Tate was primarily uh, a six in the in in the Fuller system. How he sometimes played as a right back. He sometimes played as a right wing back, uh, and he also sometimes played as an eight uh, at, towards the end of the season. Uh, and this was this was really interesting. The conversation about Tate was really fun because. We could see him playing as an eight in, in, in the rod system. We could see him playing as a six in the rod system. And by the way, we've seen both of those so far. But coinciding with the shift in tactics and frankly, the, the best period of football that we've played this year, Tate Robertson's been our right back, which is what you, you and I both said that we thought his best position was for this team. And we also added that we thought he would play a right back in a different sort of manner than our left back. At the time, we thought it would be James Kasak, uh, a very attacking, get to the byline, a lot of width type player. We figured that Tate would pinch in to center midfield when the ball was on the left-hand side of the field, which has been a shift in the last three games that's happened. 
but we have not expected him to get, we did not expect him to get all the way up the field um, to, to the byline, providing all that wit. Um, and, and he really hasn't. He's, he's, uh, he's a good crosser of the ball, but he, he doesn't, he's just not getting that far in part because the width of Brett Jones uh, on that right-hand side, which we can talk about, about Brett Jones in a little bit, has allowed him to just like kind of hold it. And I've used the term multiple times auxiliary six on this podcast. And another cool feature about the shift in, in, in tactics is that there's a little bit more room in midfield now, which is both good for the attacking side of the ball, allowing more space to be able to create. And on the defensive side, it can be an issue uh, but you know, Tate's able to kind of pinch in and provide some help, uh, especially on that right-hand side, helping Richard and, and Alex McGrath and, and Ian Cero be able to cover the ground needed to. I'm going to posit something you're not going to like. Uh, Go for it. On offense, we are currently playing a three-three-three-one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to need to write that down. <laughs> on offense, we're currently playing a three-three-three-three, a three-three-three-one, meaning. Uh, Tate doesn't go as far forward, so it's not it's not Tate's always in a line, but Tate's often in line with the center backs. The six currently, oftentimes, is up and pushed up along with Travis and one of the eights. So, like, think of it this way. Uh, we're basically playing a three-man, and then instead of having your wing backs being pushed up, to provide, uh, so Ian Saro might sit out at that. If we we're if we we're playing a regular three man, Ian Saro might be playing your right wing back. He's out a little bit wider, and then Travis Ward's left and up a little bit further, and then you go forward to your uh, your other three players, being your uh, Alex McGrath, who is up the field a lot more currently. Your two wingers being your other bank of three, and then uh, with your forward Marcus being kind of up top. And I'm not saying all the time it's not a strict formation, but I think a lot of times in build up. Uh, that four three three is is morphing into a one three 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 because Tate's staying further back, a little bit like Barcelona used to. Tate's staying a little bit further back. Travis Ward's going forward. Ian Cero's pushing out wide, not all the time, but some. Richard's pushing up a little bit, and so you have just kind of three banks of three. I think you're crazy, and I think a heat map would would overrule you on that one. Uh, if any, if anything, I think Tate's in the. Uh, Tate moves up into into the the, the eight line, like the Ian Cero line. Uh, yeah, so maybe we're playing a maybe we're playing more of a, a two four three one. Yeah, I'd, I'd but, be more willing to give you that, or a, or a two actually more of a two three four one, maybe even because what yes, my, because I would I would include Travis Ward to the, in far. the further one. Okay, so we've yeah. decided, we decided we're playing more of a two four or two three four one. Wild boy. I mean, I, I think Rod's a wild boy. He's the one playing this. Um, but like, <laughs> I just think I think that you're seeing Travis Ward get way up the field. You're seeing um, Tate get some up the field, but he's tucking in yeah. a lot, as you pointed out. Um, but he's also just covering and going forward at smart times. And he provides Brett Jones that ability to provide that width, like you said, and also provides Brett Jones the cover to be able to go take some risks in pressing. And Ian Saro, who is not as strong of a defensive player as Alex McGrath is on the other side. So Alex McGrath can fill in a little bit more for um, for Travis Ward that might go forward. But you're not going to see Ta- um, Ian filling in for Tate very much. Um, that's just not his strength. Not that he couldn't do any work. He can do the running, but, you know, just one's a better defensive player than the other one. So I think yeah. it's interesting. But I think we uh, basically nailed the 
what Tate's going to do, um, which is his best position is outside back, but he could play time at the eight. He has. He could play time at the six. He did when Richard Dixon went down injured. He slotted straight into the six for a little while um, during that same game before Richard came back. So, yeah, I think we kind of nailed it. Um, we had some predictions for Juan. I'm not even going to go over him here because he hasn't played a minute yet. Um, yeah. I think largely that's injury. Um, no, I, I, as a nostalgic guy, he's got, you know, he's 22 more appearances, I think, to break the, um, but probably a few less than that. I think he had some appearances in the preseason that might count. Greenville, for example. But. Green, only Greenville will count. And so, I still need to get, frankly, I still need to get uh, the video from that match so I can actually log it and make it official. But I think he's, so he's got, he needs 21 more and I want to see him get them. So I hope we start seeing him get in some time soon. Um, all right. Now we, we did a quite a bit of a preview on eights and tens and wingers. So I'm going to start a little bit lower here. And we've talked a little bit about this already, but, um, in the eights preview um, podcast, you said we will play two different kind of eights. Uh, McGrath will be a shuttler, and then we'll play somebody else. How you feeling about that prediction? Pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, I, I think if my ideal eights were going to be, uh, well, as I mentioned, Alex McGrath in, in the AIDS pod. No, no, so you like, said, no, no, you said, I can tell you who you said you thought it was going to be. And you oh, were shit. pretty much right. You said it was going to be uh, Ian Sarah on the left side and Alex McGrath uh, yeah, on the yeah. right side. Yeah. But turns out you are not uh, completely right because Rod is currently playing them inverted. The right-footed yeah, player in Alex yeah. McGrath on the left side and the left-footed player in Ian Sarah on the right side, which I can't, exp- I, I, we're going to try, but how to explain how drunk that is. <laughs> so... I, I think there's there's an important piece here. When I thought that they were going to be winger eights uh, in that, like, providing a, a decent amount of width, uh, I thought it made a lot more sense to put Ian, Ian Cero on, on the left-hand side so that when he would get to the byline, he could turn and, and play the ball with his left foot forward. I, I do not believe the eight position right now, as we are currently playing it, uh, should be considered a winger eight position. I think it's either straight up eights or it's straight up tens. Mm. And this is a hell of a nerdy debate for us to have right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if that's the case, then if you play with two tens, I would prefer the right footed ten, or I'm sorry, the the the, the left footed ten or left footed player to be on the right side. Because you want that player cutting in. As a 10, you do. If someone else is providing the width, then the balance is to have the left footer cutting in. That's not how it usually works. That side. That's not. I, I understand that is the defense of what Rod's doing, and I think that's why it's working. But that is not the argument you or I would have made in the preseason, even if they were 10s. You would not have suggested playing. We had Ian Sarrell written in pen when we only had like 13 players. Like if we had had to play tomorrow, you're like Ian Sarrell, left side of date, boom, shakalaka. And then, by the way, me too. Like, but we were wrong. He's the right side of date. And he's playing a lot deeper, a lot deeper. They're still going side to side whenever they want to. They have the freedom yeah. to go out wide. And what what's interesting now, so the first three games, 
uh, of the season, league games of the season, the eights and tens were the ones interchanging all the time. The outside yes. backs were not interchanging very much with the eights um, here and there, but not much. Um, they were put, they were doing some pushing forward, but not interchanging. They were interplaying. They were playing the ball to each other a lot, but they were not changing positions very much. The eights and the tens though, were changing positions all the time. Now you are seeing the eights or uh, we'll call them eights for now pushing way, way forward or sometimes covering in defense a lot more. So you're seeing the outside backs and eights switch out a lot more than previously in comparison to the eights and the tens who are switching out all the time. Now the tens are wingers, and so they're gone. They're not switching out with the eights hardly at all, and they're definitely not switching out with the fullbacks. So it's yeah. it, it just the, the people that are interchanging, the positions that are interchanging have changed, and it's fun. I would, I would it's argue also, that. It, it's also very effective right now, and it, I don't know that yes. it was that effective in those first three games. We were, keep, <laughs> we were keeping the ball... We were not creating big chances. We were only creating half chances. And some of that was certainly chemistry related. Um, some of that was whatever, but a lot of that was a tactical shift. I I would argue if you're if you're playing Ian Sarah as a right sided ten, which we were to start the season, he is still the right sided ten. He was we've a- just moved it. we've moved the tens back a few yards in starting position, and we've taken those winger eights. And we've blown them up to full-blown wingers and sent them up the field. I see what you're doing there. And I think that's very realistic. However, we're all and, and I he did play the 10 a little bit in this no, actually he didn't, not the 10. He when he played the left sided eight against Greenville, which I know you missed. I'm not really I'm not trying to just like be like, oh, in this game you missed every time, but that just happens <laughs> to be. In that game, he was dropping way deep all the time. So I remember calling you in the way and being like, whoa, dude, like Ian Sarah was the one like dropping to pick up the ball almost between the center backs all the time. So like, he, yeah. And we, and we saw that, we saw that again in the Maryland Bobcats home opener. Yes. And so that is, that is something that we saw early on. And that is a, a trait of his game, a little bit like Juan Hernandez back in the day who would, when he wasn't yeah. uh, getting enough of the ball would drop deep and pick up the ball from the 10 position. When he was the, on the four, four, the four, four bill, when he was playing the top of that <laughs> diamond, he would come drop all the way deep. I just listened to the episode where Smitty said that, and that is the name of the formation, the four, four bill. Um, he's picking up the ball between the center backs just to get his uh, touches in, I think. And so I think that we're seeing um, Ian do that as well. Yeah, I think, so there's one other there's one other interesting component to Ian Saro in in this in the tactical shift. I thought I I didn't think that Ian was that great in the in the beginning part of the season. Uh, I thought he was turning the ball over too much. I think he was when he was dropping in from from higher positions up the field. He was dropping in to collect the ball uh, because we had so many numbers in midfield. The defense had so many numbers yes. in midfield and. He didn't have enough time on the ball to be able to play certain passes. I also I don't uh, to echo what and they weren't and they weren't and they weren't dangerous either. Yeah. And and I and I thought frankly he got he got t- the ball taken away from him too many times and his passing wasn't super sharp and great. And the 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 tactical shift to put weight to put three players high up the field now with two wingers and a forward has alleviated uh, a lot of the pressure on midfield. It's opened up space, and Ian has been so much better these last few games being able to dictate the play because there's just more time and there's more space, and he's been able to pick out some passes. Uh, and I mean, he's been in- incredibly effective. And then, like you think about the goal he scored against Flower City Union, that whole sequence starts and he's deep. And this, and, and while the ball's on the on the you know the left channel of the field. He's just creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, and all of a sudden, Marcus plays that ball across. Yeah, uh, and he's and he's able to, to tap it in, coming in from 
from way essentially way out of the picture. I want to I want to put a tiny caveat on what you say that I disagree with. I don't think he was turning the ball over deep all the time, uh, but he was receiving the ball a lot on the sidelines with a 10 right in front of him and a, a fullback right behind him. And he would end up turning the ball over or somebody would end up turning the ball over because you'd have five defenders surrounding them because we we were all packed in right around the halfway yeah, line. Yeah. We were getting no, like, it's what you said. Like, the, the whole defense was pushed up. And just tactically, not only did we not have time and space, we didn't have, like, any sort of numbers. And if you give, Ian Sarah's a very good player, and if you give him time, he will pick you apart. And that's what he's been doing now that he has time because his outlet ball is now different where he's playing is different and he has a whole bunch more space to move into as well as opposed to having players bring other defenders in to his space and make it harder on him. He's now got more time and space to find a space, get picked out, find the ball, turn, whatever. And he's just looked so much better for it. And, but not just him. All players have looked better for it because we were regularly turning the ball over at the halfway line. Look at that Flower City game. Flower City, I, I would argue, beat us simply because, and I know that besides the fact that we got very unlucky um, in, to not get a goal or three in that game, they beat us because they had the line of confrontation set at basically midfield, and we never could get any space. And so it was just constantly, as soon as we would work the ball out to midfield, you'd run into too many defenders and not enough space with stuff spaced out. And that is exactly what changed in the following game from the Bobcats game on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you, you very well predicted Tate and Travis's auxiliary sixes. Uh, they don't play it the same way, but both of them can drop in, um, when needed in, in front yeah. as, as, as yeah. the eights play out. Um, and, 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 and for Tate, like playing the six is a natural thing for him. Uh, and, and, and the rod system asks players to pinch in occasionally, uh, when the ball's on the opposite side of the field. And for Travis Ward, uh, I think, I think back to that Legends Cup game where he was playing left back. And that was a key component of, uh, of how Rod asked them to play. And, and Stumptown. It the same Stumptown, way. you mean? Stumptown, yeah. And it worked the same way with, with Robert Hines uh, when he was on that side of the field, uh, when, he, when he was playing right back. Like when the ball goes on the cro- across the field, you want that, that other, uh, other outside back to pinch in hard. Uh, and, and, and like in possession, you, you play out, you, you play at your, your heels on the touchline, stuff like that. Uh, but you pinch in hard to provide extra numbers in midfield, extra control, because especially at this level, if you can, um, if, if you turn the ball over uh, or if you win the ball back and it's in like your corner, it is incredibly hard to get one of your players on the absolute far edge of the field running the opposite way and be able to pick out that pass. It's incredibly hard to do. It takes too much time and too much precision with a ball. So by pinching in and, and providing extra numbers in midfield, you're essentially trying to, to assert more control over the game with the more likely spots that the, that the next ball can go so you can win the ball back yes. or at least be an option uh, if you win the ball and, and, or keep the ball and are able to recycle it back out. You'll have time to get back to your regular spot, but you're providing numbers in uh, Numbers and, and, and matchup opportunities uh, in the middle of the field. In the tens preview, uh, you predicted that personnel is policy. I actually don't know if that is the case, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. But you bef- uh, before that or around that time, you also said the, if the outside backs don't get forward and provide width, it'll have to be the tens. Um, that is absolutely the case because the tens that we're talking about became wingers. They just became wingers. 
Um, and the outside backs sometimes provide width, sometimes they don't, but the tens are now wingers. Uh, they are now like tasked with providing width. We saw it against Bay Cities uh, in the breakaways that we had with uh, Marcus in the dead center, and then you had Brett way outright and um, who was playing Taylor Gray? Did you just Patrick forget Taylor, Taylor Gray? Gray? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Taylor Gray playing way out left. Um, I, I I forgot the starting lineup for a second there, and then I forgot the guy that scored three goals because uh, yeah, that's a that's a thing you know, my brain should do. Uh, anyway, so like. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, we had real wingers and real width west where all the width came from. So I do think we kind of nailed that. Uh, but we didn't see the switch to wingers because I don't think either of you believed that we would truly play with wingers. We believe Rob was pretty committed to playing with those 10s. Uh, and yeah. we talked about it that we were very, very happy to see him make that big change because that showed a lot of tactical flexibility and problem solving. And guess what? It has worked. It's only three games, but extremely, extremely well. Um, now, you said... Personnel is policy. The 10s tucked in are going to play differently. Now, I will give you the caveat that when the te- when they were playing as 10s, it was that that probably was the case because Damian is going to end up out wide much more often than Juan, for example, if Juan were playing the 10. I agree with yeah. that. And and you predicted that Brett might play one of those. I just thought, didn't think there was a chance he would play one of the 10s. And by the way, he wouldn't. He's only going to play a winger. Winger or striker. And we saw yeah. that in the first three games. He was the striker and the, the nine. And then in, now he's one of the wingers. But, now that we're playing with wingers, I would argue personnel is not policy. Uh, there, first of all, I don't think Juan's going to play the one of the wingers. Um, I think that's very unlikely. Correct. And if if Brett or Damian or whoever are out wide, or if Juan gets put out wide, their job is going to be to stay out wide because those roles are extremely different from the tens where you had some freedom. Uh, and I'm not saying they're not doing anything tactically with freedom, but they are staying high and they are staying wide and they are being outlets and numbers in that forward line so that we have uh, support for the nine. And they're not playing with any sort of freedom to, or not, I don't mean yeah. no freedom, but they're not playing the kind of positional interchange thing that they were previously. They're doing a little bit of it, but for the most part, yeah, they're I, playing pr- much more rigid roles than they were previously. And these, I think you'll see Roddy, days. you'll see Roddy play it. It's very similar to how Damian plays it, to how Brett plays it, to how Taylor plays it. They're all going to play him that role pretty similarly, staying out wide, and then, of course, with their in individual attributes doing whatever. But the position is going to be wide. Yeah, and and I would also add, I think you'll see, you know, certain certain wingers are going to cut in more and, and almost be, almost sometimes be second strikers a little bit at times. Uh, think more of like a, like a Roddy Green. Like he's more often going to end up in the box uh, in, in certain sequences, trying to head a ball, you know, be a, be a second option, like for a cross coming in. Right. So they're going to be more so, more so than someone like Damien who will, because he's like five foot three and a half, will end up lurking on the outside of the box a little bit more. So I think, I, I think that, yeah, that's pro- that is the case. I do think that they're staying wide until they get up near the 18 yard box. And then they're all getting into the box. I mean, you look yeah. at like Brett's making those runs into the box. Damien's making the runs into the box. Um, Taylor was making the runs into the box all night. And you're, I think you're still going to see them making those runs into the box. They're just going to stay wide earlier on where they were not yes. staying wide. Wider in build up. Yeah. If you're looking in build up, if you're looking at, at the halfway line or just in front of the halfway line, those players were in nearer to the center circle. And now they're going to be on way outside for the most part. And that's a very, so very big difference. Those early tens are now wingers, but we still have, we still have this like, eight slash 10 position in the middle of the field that's been occupied the last game by Alex McGrath and Ian Ciro. 
Chris, um, Chris Bermudez and Ian Cerebo. Chris Bermudez, that. one of those games, or a couple of those games. I think personnel is still policy when it comes to the for, to that position. That like eight t- eight slash ten. I think they're really tens now, um, like a four three three with a six and two tens. And Ian Cero plays that position differently than an Alex McGrath plays that position a little differently than a Chris Bermudez. And if we see Juan in one of those positions, I think Juan will play it differently than uh, than than those other guys too. Uh, so I, I think. That position, I think, has the most creative freedom to be who you are. And I think Rod encourages that kind of thing. Like, you don't want Ian Saro to just uh, try to be something he's not. Like, he's a good player, and he's a good player because of what he what he's good at and what he does. Um, so I, I think that's where... You still, you still need players in the middle of the field that can make plays and make plays in, in the kind of way that they are suited to. Like Alex McGrath is going to carry the ball. Uh, Ian Ciro is going to dictate using passing. Um, we've only seen two games of Chris Bermudez. I don't want to go over my skis on the type of player he is because he's playing a, a role in one of those 10 positions or one of those eight positions. He's playing a little bit differently than he has been played before. By the way, he's he was nom- he's he was nominally a ten or a seven, a, a he, right winger. He was putting al- in on his left foot. He was also a guy that you saw coming in from a similar position to Ian Saro, that right channel, uh, coming in, cutting in left-footed. Whether he was playing winger or he was playing one of the tens or whatever else, in however Greenville played, you saw him in his highlights a lot in that right channel and cutting in on his left. And now you don't see that at least in the two games he played with us. He was because so he's he playing played, in the left played, channel. Yeah, and and so he played the left-sided eight. Or eight or eight slash ten position, a lot more how I would have thought early on that Ian Cyril was going to play that type of position, and and maybe that's just because he's a little bit more. I've always thought he's a little bit more uh, direct and vertical uh, in terms of a kind of player, and I think that's his winger influence. Like he wants to be able to. Uh, I, I remember several plays uh, when he played for New Amsterdam where he was able to create shots on goal by picking up a ball out, out wide, doing it, you know, taking a couple dribbles, cutting to his left foot and swinging a ball in. And I think that directness a little bit uh, makes a lot more sense why he plays the way he does on that left-hand side and why someone like Ian, uh, Ian Ciro is just not quite, they, they play those, they play those rules differently. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. One last piece. Uh, we asked the question, will Rod attract better players here than he did at Stumptown? We said categorically he should, but this is before we assigned everybody and we believed that he would. And I think we can categorically uh, say yes, absolutely. Yeah. This is a lot deeper roster than he had at Stumptown, and this is a lot deeper roster. No offense to any guys from last year, but it's a lot deeper roster overall uh, than we had last year. Yeah, Correct. All right, so let's I mean, get, just straight up. <laughs> let's get some little bit more um, uh, cut and dry player predictions. Frankie Martinez, center back on the left side. We nailed that prediction. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, Alex McGrath, we predicted correctly that Ian and Alex would be excellent at the wide eight roles. Didn't didn't think they'd be inverted. Um, makes no damn sense, uh, and that's why it works, or maybe it makes total sense as we just talked about. But anyway, it's very interesting. We got the players right. We just got them switched. So I'll call that a push. I'll call that a push. Um, 
we we thought that Ian could play a little bit of the winger 10. Um, you you said that, and he did. That's kind of where he started, but we also thought that, at fir- that eventually he was going to be one of the eights, uh, and then he has ended up one of the eights. Travis Ward, uh, Smitty, yeah, <laughs> Smitty mentions inverted wingbacks, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, and then we all laughed, and here we are. So, Travis Spinazzola Ward. Um, <laughs> Ma- Matthew predicted prior to the left-back signing that we needed a left-back. Again, that's the same Travis Ward thing. Uh, nailed it. Tate playing right-back, central midfielder, same time. Nailed it. Took a little bit to get there, but we were right. Colin Stripling, nothing other than the six or a little bit of an eight. No mention of center back until the defenders pod, which I did. I mentioned that in the defenders pod that I thought he would see... uh, I didn't say I thought he would only start at center back, but I did say I thought he could see significant minutes at center back because he lists center back as one of his positions. He also played a little bit last year, but he listed as one of his positions on his his, uh, highlight package. The thing is, I think we all thought he'd see minutes at the six, and he hasn't seen a single damn minute at the six. Yeah, correct. We kind of we kind of thought that, like, you know, we thought he would see some minutes at the eight later on once we like realized he played a lot of the eight for Rod. But we kind of thought like that wouldn't be like a regular thing. It'd be like some minutes at the eight, mostly at the six, and then some minutes at center back. Uh, it's all center back, you, no six. You correctly noted something, uh, and I don't know if it ever made podcast air or not. But you had, you looked at what we had, which was Nick Spillman and Frankie Martinez as center backs. And by this point, I think you had you had really kind of come on board with me on Dixon as a six, and predominantly as a six. Yes. And and that's when you were like, well, this Colin this, this Colin Stripling guy might be playing a lot of center back here. Yeah. And also, I, and, I, and and I don't think I don't think that's his position. Uh, I don't think it's his best position. I don't think he is a center back. And for that take, which I don't know, if, I don't think I ever talked about on a podcast for that take. I think I'm wrong about uh, not that he's a straight up center back per se. Uh, but if you think about it, he's a, a few years older than he used to be. Uh, he reads the game exceptionally well, which is something that matters for center backs on this team uh, because the responsibilities of, of things they have to cut out usually in open space Uh the center backs have to be able to pass the ball for fun. And he does that. And because we only have, you know, <laughs> because we only have a couple center backs, like that's just a role for him to play. And, and one of the ways it does is it gets, uh, especially like when Frankie was hurt, you had Spielman, you had, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd stripling in there at center back. You had uh, Dixon play into six. And even when Dixon was out, like it's, Right now, it, it seems to be one of the ways Rod is getting as many of his best players possible on the field at any given time. Yeah. And uh, and by the way, like he looks pretty damn good there. So he does. Now, I think shame on shame on me. I, I, I think shame on you. Definitely. Um, but also, I think that you and I may maybe we both agree on this. I think his best position in this, if we're trying to get the most, and this is where it's hard because we have a lot of very talented eights right now, and that's kind of the reason he's probably playing a little more center back. If you're trying to get the most talented players we have, the best starting 11 on there, um, I think Nick Spielman's one of those center backs. Um, and I, I, some of that's learning the system, right? Colin already knows it. Um, but I think Nick Spielman still probably needs to be in there, especially for his defending. And then the kind of the question is, is Colin better than Rich at the six? I don't know. I haven't seen him play it. Maybe not. 
Uh, definitely a better distributor of the ball, but I don't know if he's a better defender. In the eights, he is a very good eight in the half that we got to see him play the eight. He was very good, and we were like, damn. Very good. So I, that's where I still think his best position is, but if we're going to have the ball a lot, one of his best things he, he does, besides passing the ball, which a lot of other players can do in that eight position, is that he can cover a lot of ground. He's very physical. He's he's big guy, and he's very athletic. That is the one thing he has over the other the other guys at the eight. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets some minutes there or if he just stays at center back and it keeps being a competition between Spielman, um, Frankie Martinez, who I think is just going to have that left center back spot, it seems like, and Colin Stripling. So yeah, it's, it's quite interesting uh, to see how how right and slash wrong we were. Um, Damian Winger tens absolutely nailed it. Um, that's when we just yeah didn't have to uh, even add any caveats. The and we talked a lot a lot about Brett Jones and what we thought we thought Jones might be. You had said that you thought Brett was a nine in in Rod's system, and. I was, um, I was right for three, four games, three games. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, and I thought, but you know, yes, but like Rod, I think Rob was looking for, for a nine that ultimately didn't happen. And Brett was the kind of player, like Brett's athletic. He, he can, he, he can chase. I mean, like this team is built on in some degree, this team was going to be built on like trying to win the ball back when we had lost the ball. And so like a better, you know, Brett's a decent pressing nine, um, gets after it on the defensive side of the ball. And, uh, and so that, you know, he was playing the nine for a while until, until with the shift to wingers and we brought Marcus in. Uh, but I had said a lot of the time that I thought, I thought Brett would make a lot of sense. If you played him as a left-sided 10, a winger 10, you know, that he would be able to, go out wide, be on the inside, kind of be a second striker like that. A lot of how, a lot, a lot of like how he played for us in 2021. You were pretty adamant that he was going to play on the left side. And by the way, I thought he was going to play up top or maybe sometimes on the left. Um, neither of us saw him going right. Neither of us he's, mentioned a single he's time. Playing, and by the way, he played a little bit on the right as well in, in 2021. Uh, but he's playing like the, the, with the shift in formation and tactics. Brett Jones is a right winger. But also, as the nine, he was drifting out wide right, not wide, wide right. right. You yeah. predicted, you know, as we're, as, we're, as we're owning you right now, you predicted <laughs> he would, like, he would be in the left-handed channel because the left channel is where he likes to be and cut in on his right foot and shoot. You're like, that's where he likes to be. That's where he's really good. That's where he's going to play. And, like, then both as the nine and the left winger, and then turns out he's just playing right winger. And, he, and when he played the nine, he was drifting to the right-handed channel. I'm not saying it worked well because he didn't, he wasn't scoring, and that's probably why he got moved out, out right wide, wide right in the end. But man, <laughs> yeah, good fun, good fun. All right, let's uh, let's do another another uh, Brett Jones bit real, real quick here, and then we'll uh, we'll keep going. Uh, the other thing. The other thing that you're not mentioning that I said about Brett Jones was that he was going to make runs in behind. Like that there was going to be a player on this team. Uh, everyone, you know, run around, go, go towards the ball, try to get, you know, get the ball, pass it around, ping, 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 whatever. Brett Jones was going to be a guy that was going to go in behind and try to create space uh, behind the center backs. And that was a, I mean, think about the Memphis game. Think about, uh, portions of the Maryland Bobcats game at home, large portions of the Maryland Bobcats game away, uh, and a, a decent amount of the Flower City game at home. 
just trying to just trying to get in behind and, and, and create create space from there. Did that work? Sometimes I think sometimes. Yes, a little. Sometimes. So, so I, I not th- not not clearly not enough. Yes, correct. Because we had we we shifted to a system where you now had three players that were given license to make those runs. So when he made the problem was when he made the runs and he made a bunch of good ones uh, in the Flower City home game that we lost. He made a bunch of good ones, created space, got the ball, held it up, and then had to wait too long for other players to get to him. So it wasn't so much a Brett Jones problem, other than he wasn't scoring. Um, you got to put the balls. You got to put the ball in net. Like you have to put the chances away, and he wasn't putting the chances away. Um, but take that part out of it, because that's a, there's two pieces of it. He was making good moves to get the ball, and he was drifting that right hand channel and going and getting the ball and then holding it up. But there was never anyone to support him, so he was just lost. And that's where the tactical shift changed everything, because now he's the player on the right side, and he's pushed up providing that support. Yeah, and also, um, I will I will point out that. Something that um, something that we needed, um, something that I I like. I think I went on about talking. Yeah, I did actually. I talked about in, when I went to Brazil. I saw this like two left-footed players on the same side, and I was like, you want you don't want two left-footed players or two like inverted players on one side. You want it to be like balanced. And we're seeing that with Travis Ward, for example, on the left side, who's a right-footed player, and then uh, most of the time Taylor is a le- is a um, like staying out wide. He's a right footed player as well, but he's staying out wide and he's pushing it. So he's not a left foot. He's not such a right foot dominant player that he can't do the stuff with as a left footer. So, and, and on the right side, you're seeing some of the same stuff go on. So my point is like the balance is happening on the, cause I, I said, I thought we needed kind of a left foot, right foot combo on each side. And while we didn't get a perfect combo, you see the balance, which is what I was looking for is definitely there with the unpredictability. So you can't just know which way they're going to go each time. The other cool thing about about Taylor Gray and Travis Ward in terms of a combination on that left hand side is, uh, I mean, like you mentioned with Taylor, like both are equally good with their they're good with both of their feet. Travis Ward can cross the ball with his left foot. Yes, thank God. And you know, it's not. I think I think he likes to shade to the inside when he plays the position. Uh purely for like numbers and, 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 and whatnot. But when, when the chips go down and he's got to get to the, the byline and cross the ball with his left foot, he's, he's good. Just like, like, there's just, there's just no like, issue here. Just like he did to Marcus on a perfectly good goal. The referee called that a bounce. Go fuck yourself. Referee. That was his left foot. <laughs> yeah, it was his left foot. Uh, Rod also said something funny. Rod made a little prediction uh, on the P- Rod podcast that, uh, they needed a finisher. That's one of the reasons Stumptown um, didn't didn't do well in the fall. They should have had more goals. They weren't able to, you know, put their foot on the gas uh, and like keep, you know, push games because they couldn't get that early goal or that second goal they should have had. And so other teams either got confidence or didn't, you know, whatever. And so I think we complained a lot in the in the preseason about not signing a striker. And we didn't you complained an inordinate amount about not signing a striker. And by the way, I was right. Um, because then we signed one, Marcus, and we didn't play one. Uh, and we have the same problems that that his Stumptown team had in the fall in, in the spring. We were not, or I'm sorry, in, in our, this spring right now, we were not creating enough chances. And when we did create the chances, we were not finishing them. And lo and behold, you put Marcus in, that first Stumptown, or that first, uh, excuse me, not Stumptown, wow, that first Flower City game away. Look what happens. Well, he started against 
the first game he started was against Maryland Bobcats sorry, away. Sorry. And also that was and also that was a ended up being a, a big goal. A big goal and a two one win. Chance falls to me scores. That's that proves my point. I just wanted to prove my point even more that like every chance not every chance that fell to him, but like converting chances is what happened in the um in that away game at Flower City. We converted yeah. the chances. We finally like were able to like put our foot in put the pedal in the metal and just go, here's a goal. Oh, here's another one. How about another one? Like we just were able to kind of get never give them any sort of hope. And that's what happens when when Marcus plays for the most part. And that's uh really, really good that Rod's prediction of we needed a finisher came true. Cause we had yeah. one on the bench. Thank God they signed one. Um you talked an inordinate amount about needing a back to goal striker, Matthew. I still think we need a back to goal nine. I still think we do. I think every team needs one. And I think we we actually all talked about and agreed that like every team needs one. Like, we needed one. We needed one in 2021. We need one in 2022. We don't have one. So as a tool in the tool um, belt, we we did all agree on that. But you were pretty adamant that we needed to be starting a back to goal striker. And by the way, so, I think that's been proven at least in the first little while. Pretty false. So here's an interesting thing uh, that I think I think is important to point out. If you go back and watch. If you go back and watch the the Bobcats away, Flower City away, and Bay City's home games, an interesting thing you'll see is that Marcus plays a good deal of those matches uh, during the build-up play with his back to goal. He does not play it the same uh, that I was describing. Like I want a six foot four brute that when the when, when everything just goes wrong, you can just fire a ball to him. And he'll hold him up, you know, he'll just like hold the ball on his chest without hitting the ground until like five players can come join and you play out from there. That's what I, what I want in, I, in an ideal scenario. What, the way Marcus plays it is, is, is a lot different. Uh, he doesn't want to be like, you know, he doesn't want to be touching essentially the center back, but just about a yard away, a little bit of space looking to play if a ball played in on the ground to him for him to flick out to first time to Taylor, Gray. maybe one of the, maybe one of the, or Brett the Jones. Uh, one of the tens or like one of the wingers. Uh, and so in that regard, because the buildup play is different, we're playing on the ground and, and a lot of it on the ground or it, or over the air into space, which he's been willing to run onto uh, his, his, his holdup play has been pretty good. And I think it has helped uh, along with a lot of the other tactical changes. Uh, it has helped be the reason why the offense is, seems to be clicking pretty well. I agree. And I think, and, that- and if you read, if you read Jed Henderson's uh, scenic city football blog and look at his uh, expected goals analysis, there's a marked shift in the, the amount of chances and the, and, and like the quality of chances and the, and the cumulative quality of chances in these last three games, as opposed to in the previous three in Nisa. hundred percent. And I would, I would put some of that as personnel, right? Marcus has created some chances in himself. We talked about the tap in, which is a massive chance. We talked about a few different things. The penalty draws for himself. We talked about a few things. So some of it's just Marcus and we should give him some credit there, but a lot of it is, and most of it is we had good interplay between the outside backs and eights and even tens. It just was happening in our own 
defensive third. It was or our own half, I should say. It was never happening in the attacking third. And now those good players are also interchanging and combining. When I say interchange, I mean like with the ball, not necessarily positionally. They are now passing the ball and making moves up the field further. And when you have good players making plays instead of in your own half, in the opponent's half, you're just going to be better. And that's a really, really reductionist way of looking at it. But that's what the change to wingers did, is it put players in to make plays with the striker. It put Brett Jones and Taylor Gray in a position to make plays along with Marcus. And so yeah. instead of just with the guys behind them, and that has been, uh, at its most basic, the the big, big change is those guys are now just creating chances. Because everyone is creating chances. You look at how many assists, who's got the assists, um, who's getting shots. I mean, Alex McGrath's getting shots from the six. Marcus is getting shots. Uh, Brett's getting a few, not as many as he was getting at the nine. Taylor's obviously getting shots. Ian's getting shots and goals. So, like, you're getting a lot of shots, and shots become goals. In statistics, shots are very predictive. And it's, it's quality of shots, of course, is a big piece of it. But if you're not getting shots, you won't score. And that's one of yeah. the reasons, like, if you look at Harry Kane, like, last year, Harry Kane's production was down because he was down to normal, like, good striker level of shots. And once he got back up, because for his career, he creates an elite level of shots. Once he got back up to an elite level of shots again, once he kind of recovered physically or whatever else, he's been great again. You can say the same similar things about Ronaldo and Messi that like those are guys that get an inordinate number of shots and it's not perfectly predictive, but if good players get more shots, you tend to do better and we are creating more shots and we are getting good players with good shots. And in this case, Marcus is the is the player getting the best chances. And as long as we keep doing that, we are going to continue being much more dangerous than we were those first three games. I want to make a, a slight addendum to the expected goals analysis uh, in relation to the Maryland Bobcats away game. We did not even create a full expected goal in that match. And I, I want to point out that uh, the conditions made that pretty darn hard. Uh, and the, you know, the second goal, which was the, you know, to go up two to zero came off an Olympico, which is not going to register you know, more than 1%, probably, you know, a 0.001 expected goal chance. And, and at that point in time, up to zero in those conditions, you, you close up shop and you just, you know, you maintain. Uh, and, and even though we, you know, the game became 2-1, you know, we mostly just saw that game out from then on. Uh, so that's my only addendum there. Uh, it's still more expected goals than we created in the first game against Maryland Bobcats. If you take out... Uh, if you take out a, a penalty kick and uh, and a subsequent rebound, so in terms of open play creation, yeah, so, it's, a, a little addendum there. Yep, agree with all of that. Uh, I'll go a few more like specific predictions from the six episode. We predicted the six was going to, or you predicted, I should say, the six was going to play like Fernandinho and be a destroyer. Um, that's what, those are big shoes, so I'm not sure you got that quite right, but it is it has been a destroyer so far. Our prediction, all of us, was that pretty sure it was going to be Dixon. It has been, and then uh, we also said it might be Stripling. We thought he would be the backup six, and turns out no one predicted McGrath, and Coach Rod gave us a big middle fingers uh, and played McGrath there, and he looked <laughs> great. Um, and yeah. we were we were far, far off on that one. Um, the defenders preview, we said ball-playing center backs. Nailed it. Um, we predicted pressing, which I think we were partially correct on. We are pressing in moments. We are not pressing all the time. I would not call us a pressing team, but I do think we are an effective pressing team. And by that, I mean, when we choose to press, we're reasonably good at it. I am not sure. We are not the type of, the, we're not the type of pressing team that's going to go out and press a better team than us. Go out and play, um, let's say we were playing Atlanta United 
but it wasn't Atlanta United. Let's just say an ML, like a lower level MLS team that's not very good. Okay, maybe it was just Atlanta United. Uh, we're playing Atlanta <laughs> United, and we uh, we went out to press them. Our pressing scheme is not so developed that we're going to give them trouble because we're good athletically and our pressing scheme is really well developed. Therefore, we're going to overachieve um, our our pressing results because we're so well organized and so good of pressers. No, that's not how it's going to work. We're a decent pressing team, but that's not our identity. Um, like there are teams that whose identity is to press, right? And they they can give teams even up a level uh, or up two levels potentially a little bit of trouble because they're very very good at that thing they do. That's not us. But I would say that I think we are an effective pressing team for this level. And when we choose to press, um, which I still haven't quite figured out when we choose to press and when we don't. Um, like, I, I mean, I see us press in moments, and I sometimes I know why, and sometimes I don't know why. But I do think we are pretty effective when we do it, and I think we're we're choosing to do it at certain times that is pretty effective, and I'm, I'm glad to see that. I think we got that one partially right. If uh, if you're familiar with the with the video game, the, the FIFA video game franchise, uh, you'll note that a lot of our pressing uh, can, be, can be summed up in the press after possession loss yes. category. Yes. Yes. Good. Well, well said. Um, so one thing that we said, we both of you, both you and I said, the six is going to drop in and push defenders wide, um, like the center backs wide. And I really don't think we've seen that hardly at all. Um, the def- the central defenders do go out wide in possession quite a bit, but you don't see Richard Dixon dropping in between the center backs very often. Um, no, it's, it's one of the other center backs is moving for cover and the six is kind of staying up in the middle, holding, holding the middle. And it's, it's, it works. I'm not complaining. It's just, I did not predict that. And you and I did not predict that. That's one piece of that. We got completely wrong. Um, cause you're just, you're thinking about Richard Dixon. Like, oh yeah, you just slot straight in when they have, you know, when they want to get out. Nope, not at all. Um, we said width from outside backs and the outside backs need to be very athletic and get up and down. We these are speaking of ideals, not based on who we had signed yet. Um, in part of that. So I do think we got part of that, right. Um, pushing, uh, like pushing Travis Ward being one of those guys. We predicted that. Um, and, but we're not getting a ton of width. We're getting some width from this, from them, but it's coming from the wingers now, which we've already talked about in this episode. So kind of got that partially wrong. and, And I guess a little bit right for the first few games of the season. Um, Matt predicted Tate perfectly, which again, um, we said that before, but Tate can get forward. If we have a ridiculously athletic left back right now, Travis Ward, um, he's not going to get back. He's not going to go up as far. Um, I think if you saw, um, I think if you saw a different player playing out left, a less athletic version of Travis Ward, someone who's not going to, I think you would see Tate just push up forward more. That's what I was going to say. Um, I mean, even I think you, we never, we haven't seen Greg Stratton play at the same time as Tate. So I'd be interested to see how they would balance it, for example. Um, but yeah, we also have, we also haven't seen Greg Stratton play with wingers yet. Correct. In front of correct. Him. So we don't know exactly how. So that's why I hesitated to mention him there because I don't know that's fair to be like, this guy's not an athlete because that's not fair either. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to classify yeah. Greg in that, but I'd say with another player that was different, um, taking Greg Stratton out of the picture, just another left back, I don't know how uh, Tate would play that position. But I think we got it perfectly right so far. Um, you definitely got it really right, predicting Travis at right back over Tate to begin the season. You were 100% correct. But then, you know what Tate did? He went in and won that position and pushed Travis um, out. And He uh, done did. And then I predicted Stripling as a ball-playing center back, and he would get some minutes there. Um, I said I said possibly many minutes, by the way, in that Defenders episode. So, suck it. Um, I'm not saying I wanted. To, I'm not saying I want to be right. That's who I want to play necessarily. I don't know. That's a whole different conversation. But I predicted that's what would happen. Uh, I think we need to. We need, I think we need to get on. Uh, well, we definitely need to get a bunch of these guys on the podcast. Uh, but I, I, I'll be curious 
when we start doing those, those rounds, talking to the guys about like, you know, what's their best position, what they think their best position is. And if it's not the same one they're playing for us, uh, what qualities uh, make that a, make that a seamless transition. I agree. I agree. Uh, goalkeepers preview. I just have one note in here. Uh, we got it all right. <laughs> we said, Kevin, we said that, you know, we didn't know what Alec Reddington would or wouldn't do, but we believed he would probably slot in reasonably well. We haven't seen that, so we have no evidence. Um, so I'll just leave that one as a push. But uh, we said KG, he'll sweep up and be the 11th player in the field to play the ball all the time. And that's exactly what he is. I would may, maybe I would have a bone to pick with maybe he's not like the sweepiest of sweeper keepers. He's not like Phil D'Amico when he first got here where he's just like end line to end line, but he's still sweeping quite a bit. Um, plenty to call him a, uh, still got some sweeping uh, attributes there. And he's the 11th player on the field in possession all the time. I actually am surprised how little we pass back to him right now. I think it's interesting because I think we're more possession dominant than I would have predicted beginning of the season. We were, we needed to use the goalkeeper more right now. We're not using the goalkeeper a ton in possession, some, but not a ton, which is interesting um, because I think we're just getting better with the ball, crisper with the ball and better in possession in general uh, in our, between our midfielders and our defenders that there's not having to pass the ball back to the def- um, goalkeeper very much. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely the case. I was thinking about that the other day, uh, and I mean, it obviously is co- coinciding with a with a really good run of results here. Uh, but it, it seems like, on and on all facets of the ball, we're getting we're just getting better using it and being productive with it. And I think one thing that we said early on is that like we were hopeful, um, and I th- I'm pretty sure we said this on the podcast, uh, but like this is the type of system that develops over a season, right? It doesn't mean it's going to only get better, but if you have a particular way you want to play that involves chemistry and movement, not just individual skill, but chemistry and movement. So you're not just kicking the ball long. You're not trying to create turnovers all the time by pressing and like creating those. You're trying to build out of the back. A system that builds should get better as the season goes on, as players get used to it, as they learn it, as they learn each other, as they the chemistry gets better and, and as their execution of the plan gets better. And I think we're clearly seeing that. We've seen the plan change. Um, kind of wrap this whole podcast up. We've seen the plan change. I think some things we got right from the jump and some things we were, that were wrong then that we got wrong are right now. And then, of course, some things we just got totally wrong. But I think that one of the things that I've seen so far that I'm really, really happy with is the, the adaptation that's happened and the changes that have happened that have really just pushed us to play better. And I'm hopeful we will continue to grow as the season goes on and teams will continue to be able to have more film on us and adjust, but it looks like we're playing in a way currently that's much more difficult to adjust to. And hopefully we continue just getting better because you want to be peaking uh, towards the end of the season. It's hard with health to know how that's going to work. You know, are guys healthy? Are they not? Whatever, whatever. But experience wise, instead of peaking, which last year we really peaked after the Legends Cup, Super good preseason, came in super sharp, and just kind of stayed at that level. We never really got too much better during the season. It looks like this year we're going to continue, hopefully, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, improving and getting sharper and getting better, and hopefully we'll peak later in the season. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matthew, let's wrap this bad boy up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to find you on the internet, Matthew, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at I am Kenicleo. You can find me on Twitter at Whiskey is Fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find me on the internet. You can find the podcast uh, on 
both Instagram and Twitter at the Section 109 Podcast, where it is mostly Producer Jay, uh, except for I occasionally log in on the Twitter to make some posts, and I see a message every now and then. So uh, thank you for listening. If you came here for women's content, as we probably hopefully have some new folks that were coming here for the women's content, thank you for listening to the men's content. If you made it this far, uh, we will be back with more men's and women's reviews uh, after the double hitter, hopefully on Monday. See everybody.